You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello. Hi, I'm Aprom Kipolevich, and the world has changed so much in the years since COVID was unleashed in the beginning of 2020. Uh, and we, of course, on this platform have uh, episodes and recordings of those episodes standing back to 2019 uh, before COVID and maybe even earlier. Uh, listen to those episodes are sometimes difficult because the you sense how much the world has changed and how sometimes observations and ideas reflections of that time seems out of whack with how much everything has altered. However, I went back uh, into the file, so to speak, and I rediscovered something that we did a number of years ago, Rabbi Skeist and I, Rabbi Shmuel Skeist, who is not only a a great educator or Shiva for many, many years, uh, a dynamic, charismatic leader, uh, but also a great musician. And we did a program called Ear Traffic Controlled. And we recorded it right before the three weeks in 2019. And we thought since it is a time that people do not listen to music uh, from the three weeks on, we figured we would get them before the three weeks a certain sense of how uplifting totally American music could be. Um, I... I think it really has stood the test of these three years. And I think the analysis and the, of the songs and the production values really of that episode are make it something that can be worthwhile hearing again. So um, as you can see, I don't want to spoil everything about it, but I think you are going to not only enjoy the conversation, but I think you might also uh, appreciate the musical clips and analysis uh, that we do there. So here it is in place of uh, perhaps some of your other listening. Enjoy. From the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT, this is Pardzufim, exploring the faces of Halachic Judaism. And as Chazal tell us, Kishem, Shem, Pardzufim, Daimon Zelazer, People aren't identical, and neither their opinions. Well, let's see how like-minded we are today. I'm Shmuel Skeist. And I'm Aprom Kivalevich. And today we're talking about music and the three weeks. And just like you ready yourself before a fast with some great nutrition to keep you going, we know that during the three weeks when you're not listening to music, we've got some ideas about some great music you can listen to before Shavas or Batamas. Wait a minute, just to be clear, we're not talking about what's usually called Jewish music. Yeah, but we think that the ideas and themes of these songs that we're going to talk about today align with Jewish values and resonate within any real Jewish thinker and really take us into some interesting places. Okay, so let me introduce the first song. This is a song by... Neil Diamond, and it's called Man of God. He released it in 2005, and I think it's a really interesting song. I'm going to play some of it for you, and then we'll talk about some of the lyrics. I'm a man of God. Though I never learned to pray, 
Walk the pathways of the heart Find them there along the way And I am, yes I am, I'm a man of faith Okay, Shmuel, so that's that's your choice of a song that you can really store up on and, and gain a lot from. You want to tell me why? Well, first of all, uh, he talks about difficulty with davening. I'm interpreting his lyrics because I understand that he's not speaking from the position of a firm Jew. But he talks about being a man of God, though he never learned to pray. And he walked the pathways of the heart and found him there along the way, found HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, you know, davening is something we all struggle with. I, I, I like saying anyone who tells you that the davening is a simple thing for them is lying because it's an avoda, right? So he's talking, he, he, he says it in such a beautiful way. He never learned how to pray. And he's talking from his perspective where he didn't go to yeshiva and he didn't, he doesn't go to shul and he doesn't have that experience, but he feels that he has had, has made some connection anyways. And I think that's very heartening to hear and not that that's the, the right way to do it, but Look, we, we all know that you know, it doesn't have to be Neil Diamond who was raised with a great Jewish identity, but not necessarily uh, with any real Torah values or Torah learning. I think even if people who do have those Torah learning, many people think davening is about getting every word correct and, and understand the meaning, whereas it, it's more than just that. And therefore, I, I guess I agree with you that you can find God almost in the struggle of, of, of trying to daven, right? Just where the where is God? Is, is, is in a way finding God. Is that what sure. you're trying to say? Sure. I, you know, and I also, I think it, it resonates for me because uh, davening is the uh, avoda shabalev. And he, that's exactly what he says. Walk the pathways of the heart. But in other words, instead of prayer being this uh, very official type of message that you need to send and get it right in order to create a bridge, you actually, within the struggle of trying to do that, you see that God is around you and supporting you. Yes. That's the way I read it. Yes, correct. That's uh, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, and, and it's almost as if paying attention to that is something that sometimes we forget to do. So maybe the fact that he doesn't have the connection to davening the way we do allows him sort of to see that more clearly. And I think that's something that, uh, to me, that resonates. Okay. There's how it's got to be. Thanking you, Lord, for giving me song, for making me strong, and for taking my hand. I'll go up to heaven when I reach the end. Up until then, gonna do what I can. First of all, he's giving, he's a man who has written, you know, uh, so many incredible songs and has this incredible career. And, uh, instead of saying, uh, he's saying, it's not just me. And he's going to say that even better a little bit later on in the song. But the second point I want to make is he's talking about the idea that, you know, I, I, I recognize that there's an end. I'm not here forever. And I'm going to do what I can. Right. I think when we were doing a little research beforehand, we saw that he was about 65 when he wrote this song. He's right. he's still going pretty strong now. He's 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 pushing 80 and he's still going strong. But yeah, it, it definitely is the song uh, the way I see it uh, of somebody who has uh, as realizes his mortality has been doing this for so many years, very very successfully, 
and, and I guess part of what he's trying to say is is that you know even though there's a lot of pop songs that you just you know they can get a what's it called an earworm in your in, in, in your brain you just hear that song over and over again like Sweet Caroline or um, I'm a Believer. But I think what he's saying is, is that what I'm doing is I'm an instrument of God. And what I've done is I've made the world better, which you're right, does show a, a, a sense of humility. But why don't you play that, that last, that other clip that. Right. You know, so then he goes after, okay. after a couple of other verses, he goes into the bridge. Singing for him is like touching the sky. I don't need to know why. I just know that it is. Each time I sing out, I want to rejoice. Because when I hear my voice, I believe that it's his. Okay, now I really hear something that's uh, pretty powerful. Now I understand a little bit why this means so much to you, because as a person who has has written a number of songs and really understands this area very, very well, he's actually saying that when I hear my voice, I believe that it's his. He sees himself as an instrument of God in the world. Yeah, I think that, uh, this is something that uh, all creative people will recognize. There comes a point in creativity. And by the way, this is universal. It's not only artists. It's not only musicians. It can happen when somebody is lahavdil, learning Tyra. Well, this is this is the the, the Riva in many many places in his Hasogas on the Rambam. He says Ruach right? When he talks about an idea that he knows is true, and he realizes that it didn't necessarily come from his intellectual understanding, but it was actually an inspiration, which is really the spirit that came from someplace else after all that work. And he says this this must have been the hand of God that sort of pushed him towards that, right? Um, I think anyone who crea- who connects to creativity on a deep level will at some point experience this feeling. They look at it and they say, wow, wh- where did that come from? Like, h- how did I do that? There's this sense of like, that, that wasn't, that wasn't me. I was, I was the conduit for it. And I think that's a very, uh, a very deep concept and a very tr- true concept. And I think everyone can experience that in their lives. You don't have to be an artist or particularly talented in something. You just have to be yourself. Right, but I think there's another element here that is a little bit dangerous, right? Which is the idea that because when I hear my voice, I believe that it's his. You can fool yourself and 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 believe constantly that even the you know these these Nadershkaiten that you might spew forth is is the will of God because you know and and. and we know so many that have gone astray because of that, right? So sure. I, I just don't think that's a that's a Neil Diamond problem. That's a problem that we have. It's a universal problem we have in Yiddish cut as well. I mean, uh, how many times do you hear somebody tell some sort of a story in which they give you an interpretation of what they think is what Hakadosh Baruch Hu meant by the story? It's bashert, and therefore they'll tell you the story, and you think if you're a rational thinker, you think to yourself, well, there could be other interpretations. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what Akadosh Baruch was saying. So, yeah, that is always a danger, but I don't think yeah, it's... Yeah, but, but I think there's a, a big difference, you know, in, in the sports world, 
many of the, the great athletes, you know, they point to the star, they point to the sky after they they do a tremendous act, whether it's a you know a tremendous dunk or a block shot or a tremendous run the football field for a touchdown. They'll point to the sky and say it's God who did everything. God gave me that. That's different than saying that they are just an instrument of God and that they represent God, which is again what he seems to be saying, which is that um, when I hear my voice, I believe that it's his. It's one thing to say God gave me this voice. He's saying it's God's voice, and God's voice is more than just my talent. It's the voice of God speaking through me, and that voice means that this is more important than what other people are doing, and it's maybe a message from God. Well, if he was right. proclaiming himself as the uh, the new uh, Messiah, or 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 you know somebody who deserves uh, the, uh, followers because he's got the voice of God in him. Then, then I would agree with you, but I don't think that he means it that way. I, I agree that it can be interpreted that way, but I don't think there's any evidence that that's what he actually means. So, you know, I, I think what this reminds me of is a beautiful play and movie that won the Oscar, of course, Amadeus, which is a fictionalized version of the life of Mozart, told from the perspective of Mozart's rival, Salieri. And Salieri discovers some of Mozart's music, and he can read it and comprehend it. And he, as he's reading it, he says, I heard the voice of God. And that's really the 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 idea of being able to see just like in in an amazing waterfall or in a shooting star or in some incredibly beautiful part of nature he saw that in the music that had been spawned by mozart despite mozart being a person who was not very elevated and probably not uh, even aligned with a lot of the things that neil diamond is saying here which means there's something beautiful and great and tremendous which is clearly god's way of working through the world i don't think that's what neil diamond is saying so, you know, and I think that what I just said, I think, is, is very parive and, and actually positive, and you don't get a God complex. Again, my feeling, Ishmael, is that you chose this because, you know, it somehow relates to you, not only as a person who davens, but also a person who creates music. Sure, okay. that's certainly possible, and we, uh, we all uh, do things on many different levels, and so that's certainly a possibility. But let me play the last part of the song here. Forgive. And I am, yes, I am, I'm a man of God. No, I am, yes, I am, I'm a man, I'm a man of faith. I'm a man, yes, I am, I'm a man, I'm a man of peace. And I am, yes, I am, I'm a man, I'm a man of song. I'm a man of God Man of God uh, At least to me when I hear this I, I hear a man uh, who's who's musing about this He's not certain For me that's what brings the song together Because it's like you know, he's thinking, he's sharing something from in, from himself about his process, about who he is, about his life. Okay, so it should really be no I am N O or K N O W, or you think it's meant to be both? I think it's meant to be both. Sometimes he's not as great as he thinks he is. Yeah, to me, this signifies a certain element of humility. Like, I, I, I am this, but I, I sometimes I'm a man of faith, but sometimes I'm just a man. Sometimes I'm a man of peace, but sometimes I'm just a man. Sometimes I'm just a man of song. And I and that doesn't necessarily mean something more. Like, he's all the way I'll be, but he says, I'm a man of God, which I guess, despite all the things he's going through, he, at the end of the day, he's saying that 
God's responsible for bringing him here, and he he still recognizes that, even though there are times that that's not necessarily uppermost in his consciousness. Yes, and I think that that's probably okay. true of all of us. There, we go through different kufas in our lives, and sometimes we're more connected, sometimes we're less okay. connected, and we have to believe that even the times we're not so connected, we're still men of God. Okay, so let's try to put this song to the test. Is this the type of song that you can see people listening to it in multiple hearings? So we're trying to give people a little bit of a feast, a musical feast before the three weeks. Do you see somebody playing this song a number of times and making it their own? And I think so. I think that the refrain of I'm a man of God is a very positive one. It should resonate well for from people. I think that, I mean, the production on this song is incredible. So my answer to that would be yes. Play your song. What, what, what song, what are you bringing to the table? Okay, so it's, it's a song that was written uh, 40 years uh, before yours, and it's a song that I actually sort of grew up with. You know, I think it's sort of like the year 1965 when I sort of became cognizant of, of the world out there and not only just TV that, that where I heard it for the first time, but also what it meant to grow up in a very non-Jewish town and being, you know, the Holocaust, Holocaust survivor's child, keeping Torah mitzvahs among people that, you know, didn't even recognize anything, you know, in a small town in Memphis where I'm from. And that's the song Impossible Dream, which I sang for years to myself all the time. The first time I heard it, probably sometime 1965 or 66, and it really still resonates very, very strongly with me. It came from the Broadway musical, The Man of La Mancha, which is a play about Don Quixote, his life and his struggle. Now, of course, Don Quixote was a person who, you know, imagined that windmills were giants and he wanted to live as a knight that would fight. And of course, the era of, of the knights had already passed and he was living in a very squalid, ugly Middle Ages period. And yet he wanted to live this romantic life and this life as a, a fighter and a, and a person who would do things. So this song is really the great pinnacle of the play, of course, where he talks about this impossible dream that he has, and it's been recorded so many times. To dream the impossible dream To fight the unbeatable foe To bear with unbearable sorrow To run where the brave dare not go of a wrong to love pure and chaste from afar to try when your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star this is my quest to follow that star no matter no matter how far to fight for the right without question or pause to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause and my Lord I'll only be true to this glorious quest that my heart will when I'm laid to my rest And the world will be better for this That one man, scorned and covered with scars 
still strove with his last ounce of courage. The unreachable storm. Okay. So, of course, I know this song, although, I don't know, I may have heard it in 1965, but I wouldn't remember it. <laughs> I'm a bit younger than you. Over the years, I have heard this song many times. It's quite famous. And I think it's interesting that you picked this song because, on the one hand, it talks about, you know, to dream the impossible dream. I mean, if that, that line right there uh, is, uh, I don't want to get political, but Eretz Yisrael, Shiva Sion, I mean, uh, if that's not dreaming the impossible dream, which actually is coming true in, in, in front of our eyes, is that, you know, I don't know what is. Is that why you picked it? No, I actually not. I actually feel what you're talking about is like wanting something and imagining something. And I guess if you want something enough, it, it gets into your dreams. For me, it's more about the idea of being charged with a mission and realizing that the odds against you are, are extremely large. And yet, as you seem to be failing, you have this power that's pushing you to achieve. And uh, this song, you say it is very popular and it's won many awards. And I think it's really an incredible matchings of lyrics and music. You know, you have uh, Mitch Lee's music and Joe Darian's lyrics. They come together. You know, it, it, it's just perfect. It has majesty and power. It swells. It builds. It, obviously, that, that music that is that package that always makes songs live within us so much more than just poetry. But I think it's it's where Darian puts in Don Quixote's mouth that this is my quest to follow that star, no matter how hopeless, no matter how far, to fight for the right without question or pause and to be willing to march into hell for a heavenly cause. And marching into hell is not only dealing, you know, on a, a level of dealing with Rishoyim or being able to, you know, not just stay in the safe, the insulated areas of the world, but actually to be out there and know that what you're doing is, is L'Shem Shemayim. And even when I was uh, a young child, to me, it was very powerful when he says that if I'll only be true to this glorious quest, uh, that my heart will lie peaceful and calm when I'm laid to my rest, which we, if we compare it to your song, you know, a person realizing that life is finite and many times it isn't wrapped up so beautifully and what the package is and what you achieve. But if you're true to that, that you can lie peaceful and calm. You didn't achieve everything you thought you were going to achieve in life. But you were true. But doesn't this song have a flip side as well? A dark side? I think part, I think what we're actually getting into is why this song has been parodied and in many ways can be really misused. I think just like we talked about the danger of, of Neil Diamond's song about feeling that you're the voice of God, you know, anybody can really talk about things that they feel very strong about and say that's their impossible dream and they're going to fight for it without question and pause because I've got to be true to my cause. So I agree can be easily misinterpreted and misconstrued as well or used for whatever you want. Well, okay, but if we're going to talk about questions about the song, though, uh, my, my strongest question on the song is uh, about the lyric, to love pure and chaste from afar. 
Oh, I actually love that one. I, when I was growing up, I actually thought it was because I knew all the words. I would go around singing. My next door neighbor called up my parents and said, why is your son running around in the rain, like singing the impossible dream? I get it. It's true. Actually, it's true. <laughs> but I actually thought when I was growing up, I thought it was uh, to love pure and chase from afar that you love, but you actually have to chase somebody from afar. You have a problem with that? I actually think that's beautiful. The idea that you realize that it's unrequited love and yet you know, it, it doesn't get spoiled by by the messy reality. Well, I, I, yeah, I hear that. And there's a part of that that's very, very beautiful and romantic. But there's also the idea that what about if you want to talk about chasing? What about chasing being pure? These lyrics sound like he's saying, you know, that's a really great thing if you if, if, if you can do it. Okay, so the song was meant to reflect somebody wanted to be one of the knights, like one of the great medieval knights. And part of that era also brought in the idea of romantic love, right? That it isn't just you take the wench and you have your way with her, right? She's this beauty that maybe you'll never even be able to touch and hold, and yet you love her for what she, this feminine ideal that what she stands for. So clearly, you know, in terms of what the lyrics mean in a literal way, yeah, you know, Dulcinea, whoever it is that uh, the woman who's who he's in love with, he knows that he's never going to have a chance with her really to have any romantic time. But that's what real love is, pure and chaste from afar. Connecting that to the love of God or the love of Torah, obviously, we, we interact mentally and it's it's not chaste. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's actually, you know, it, you know, it, it, there's no chastity belt. It's really, it's, it's meant to be involved and powerful and, 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 and really dynamic and really ecstatic. But like I said, I think that I would like to bequeath this song to our listeners who are, who are struggling, especially if they're in college or wherever it is or in a place where they're not in the places where it's easy to be from and it's easy to just do what you have to do. And, and we know there's a, there's a lot of people out there, whether it's in their job yeah. and their business or at school. And I think that this type of song, especially this power in the way it's sung, I think it's the type of thing which a person can incorporate and use in a very strong way. So that's, that, that, that's my recommendation. We'd like to hear what you have to say, right? Whispers out there, if you've got a song that you think is perhaps something unusual and something that you think might be a great thing to listen to, uh, let us know about it. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. And uh, maybe we can do future episodes based on your songs. But our time is up. Uh, I'd encourage you to please share this with your friends. And look for new episodes coming soon. I'm Shmuel Skaist. Yeah, and I'm Abram Kivalevich. And this has been Hartsufin. See you next week. for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 